Welcome to Winning with the Burns, a podcast for highly ambitious people who have a burning desire to learn what it takes to win at a high level. All right, guys, we are excited uh, to have Mr. Rob Goldstein here with Wild Leap uh, Brewery. We, um, Rob, we actually, when we started this podcast, I think we're in episode seven right now, um, we had a list of people that we wanted on the podcast and you were you guys were on this uh, list and I ran into you at Starbucks like within two or three days later we've never met and yeah. I just shared with you what we were doing what we'd like to do and you're like hey I'm in let's do it you know so well thank you thank you in sure. advance for this this is gonna be a lot of fun you know uh doing a little research on you guys here and uh your a little bit of your story um we're excited. We're very excited. Hopefully, people will learn today um, about business, uh, learn about having a dream, and learn about taking that step and, and going forth with it. So, Rob, kind of share uh, with everybody that don't know you uh, a little bit about your background and uh, you know where you're from and what you guys are doing right now. Sure. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I was um, I was born in Los Angeles. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, went to uh, college at Arizona State. And, um, well, I guess, let me back up. I, uh, was born in Los Angeles, but when I was 12, moved to Alpharetta, Georgia from Los Angeles. And, and that was a bit of a culture shock because, you know, I had never been to the South. And so, you know, one day I'm in seventh grade in, in LA and the next minute, you know, you're kind of in this whole new group of folks that don't know anything about you and definitely don't like you. And, um, and you, you know, talk weird too, to them probably. Yeah. Had, <laughs> bigger high tops than, you know, puffy <laughs> jackets that were in style in LA and people looked at you like you're an alien in Atlanta. And we're talking about Los Angeles, not lower Alabama. That's correct. Yes. <laughs> that was another, uh, you know, little interesting learning experience. And when I said I was from LA, that it was Los Angeles and not lower Alabama. Um, <laughs> so graduated uh, high school, um, went to Chattahoochee High School in, in Alpharetta, Georgia, and then immediately went out west to Arizona State. Um, but something happened along the way in, um, in my senior year in high school where I've always been into music and, uh, loved going to concerts and, and was a huge fan of classic rock and was fortunate enough to convince an existing, like a, a classic rock radio station in Atlanta, uh, my senior year in high school to, to be an intern for them. And so every day I would get out of uh, class at, at noon and drive from Alpharetta to Buckhead to be an intern. And it was just the coolest thing because I was around music. I was, you know, replacing the little cartridges that carried the CDs and stapling papers, but I didn't care because I got to do it when I was in the studio with the DJ, like, yeah. you know, and he was playing CDs and, and talking and all that kind of stuff. So um, when I went away to school, I uh, I thought, well, I'd love to, to figure out something in music to, to do. And my second semester of my freshman year at, at Arizona State, um, I got an internship with MTV and what that essentially allowed me to do was be the like Arizona state representative for, you know, for interviewing bands that came through town, uh, going to concerts, interviewing celebrities, all that kind of stuff. Um, and mind you, I was like living in a dorm with three other guys at the time. Um, but it was cool because one, I, I got to go to free concerts and get CDs. And two was that occasionally we would have like, artists call my dorm room for like phone interviews and stuff. So I'd be sitting there with my, my little tape recorder and like putting it up to the ear hole yeah. when I'm like talking and I'd be talking to like, you know, somebody that I super respect and, you know, like, I don't know, Pete Townsend of the who and like Ozzy Osbourne and people like that. And that was really exciting and kind of shaped the first 
many years of my career. Um, so after college, uh, you know, having been working in, in, in doing freelance writing and blah, blah, blah for a long time, um, moved to Los Angeles to work for the William Morris Agency. And um, that is a talent agency where essentially we booked, uh, we booked concert tours. Um, before then, I didn't know what a music agent did. I thought they like negotiated record contracts and stuff. Um, but in fact, you know, if you're a, if you're a band, you have a manager, you have attorneys, and then you have an agent. And, um, that's what we, we did is, uh, whether it was like little tiny bands or huge ones, um, you know, we got to, we got to book their tours, whether they're, you know, playing clubs or playing stadiums. And, and that was a lot of fun. Um, but eventually my, my love for music and the business and the way that it was done and, um, it just, it, it kind of stopped being fun after a while. And so, um, I eventually decided that I didn't want to do that anymore. And at the same time had kind of started a side gig of, um, music consulting on the side where essentially, um, this was right during the iPod era when it kind of came about where, um, you know, I started programming iPods for restaurants and bars and, you know, they kind of found that when we would do this, my, my partner, my business partner and I, at the time, the sales would improve. And so we thought, well, that's, there's something to it. So eventually made the decision to leave William Morris and start this company and, um, did that in LA for, uh, four years and eventually, uh, sold that and, and moved out back to Atlanta, which is, you know, where my family lives. And, um, by then, you know, I wasn't living in Alpharetta as like a high school kid and with not much to do. It was like I was living in Atlanta as an adult and um, it became much more of an appealing city to, to live in. And it was super vibrant and a lot of fun. Yeah, a lot of, lot of, ex lot of life experience from high school to, to moving back. So you guys have a, a, a beer and spirits company and in the music industry. So, <laughs> yeah. so how, how did, you know, so you come back to Atlanta um, now you were in event event planning, right? Yeah. So I was working for a company uh, called the Gerber Group at the time, and um, some people confuse that as like a, the baby uh, formula company, but yeah. it's, it's it's a it was a nightlife uh, company that was um, founded and run by Randy Gerber, who some know he's like married to Cindy Crawford and uh, started Casamigos Tequila with George Clooney um, and his brother Scott. So. Um, you know, when I first got to Atlanta, I started working for them. Uh, originally, it, it's kind of an interesting story. Um, going back to my my music company in, in LA, uh, my business partner was an attorney, and he was you know fairly older than I was. And so, when we started getting differing ideas in terms of where we wanted our company to go, um, it some at some point came to a head, and. Uh, well, he was an attorney and I wasn't, so ultimately he won <laughs> and um, went from, you know, living and working in L.A. with offices on the Sunset Strip to moving back in with my parents at age 29, um, kind of with my tail between my, between my legs and, you know, broke. Um, but I heard that Gerber Group, which is an L.A. company or, or had offices in, in, in L.A., was opening locations in Atlanta. And so I thought, well, you know look at all this experience I have in the music business and I could just kind of waltz in there and, you know, be their director of marketing, like no problem. Um, and so I remember getting an interview and, uh, 
you know, speaking with the manager at the time about that and, you know, showing all my experience, yada, yada. And uh, she said, well, listen, this is that this is all great stuff, but um, we actually don't hire from the outside uh, for any sort of marketing positions. I said, well, okay. Um, you know, this is the first time in a long time that I didn't have like professional responsibilities. My, my phone wasn't blowing up with all sorts of things. Like I had nothing. I didn't have a company. I was broke. I was living in my parents' house. Like I don't really have much going on. So, you know, in, in college, I also bartended, like I can be a bartender. Um, they said, well, yeah, there's enough guy bartenders here. So we're good on that. And so I said, well, well what can I do? Um, and they said, well, you can be a barback. And I asked, well, what's a, what's a bar back? And they said, well, you know, you, you take out the trash and you, uh, you change bottles when they're empty and just kind of shadow the bartenders and make sure that they have everything that they need. Um, I said, well, okay, let's do it. And, uh, and so my first job back in Atlanta, uh, post music industry, post owning a company was being a bar back at, uh, Whiskey Blue Atlanta and the W Buckhead Hotel, um, which was you know, pretty humbling. Um, and weird, I think, in a sense that like, all the people I went to high school with are on the other side of the bar seeing me, you know, that I haven't seen in a long time. And, you know, I'm cleaning up their trash. So that was that was a challenge. But uh, I decided that, you know, if I'm gonna be a bar back, I'm gonna be the best bar back I can be. And so like, I was making spreadsheets for fruit wheels and all this stuff, like, you know, trying to organize it and you know, eventually I, they kind of took note and um, I asked, well, you know, could I start hosting events here, like promoting it and all that kind of stuff. And they let me do like uh, organize a networking event, I think once a month. And then um, that started going okay. So I started doing more events and, you know, eventually got the opportunity to uh, start booking private events that were happening. And, um, you know, over time my role evolved to where, um, you know, I was the director of marketing and, and events for the Southeast region of the, the company. And I was going to, you know, their property in New Orleans and Fort Lauderdale and the different ones in Atlanta and kind of running all of that. Um, at the, the time, I still knew nothing about craft beer, but um, of all things, I went to uh, an Atlanta convention and, and visitors bureau uh, networking event at a brewery in, in Atlanta. And that's how I met my business partner. I had only been to one of those in my life, and that was the one I went to, and that's how I met Anthony. I saw some, you know, I'm sitting here, my wheels are turning, Rob, you know, about, you know, you out there in L.A., you know, communicating with some big-time names, and then, you know, adversity hit. You know, you had to come back home, didn't have any money, looking for a job, and, you know, you you took the opportunity that was given, and you said, you know, be the best that you could be where you were, and there's an old saying is, you know, where, where your feet are. Be the best you are where your feet are, and you did that, and then you promoted yourself all the way through. I think a lot of times people, when they go through adversity, when, especially when they've had some success, and I can raise my hand for that, when they've had some success, it's tough to humble yourself after that. Because you get a sense of entitlement. Well, I should be better than this. I should be doing more than this. I have more knowledge, right? You have more knowledge than being a barback. I never even heard what a barback was, by the way. You taught me something. <laughs> but uh, you had more knowledge than that. But you decided, hey, I'm going to be the best where my feet are. And then look where it took you. It took you to to a path or, you know, we'll hear the story later about, you know, how you and your business partner, partner even started Wild Leap. So you guys met at a networking event, okay? Just first time – First time you met him. Mm -hmm. So how'd that conversation go? Um, so in parallel to what I was doing at Gerber Group, I met some guys uh, 
in LA that buy out large venues for big holidays like Halloween, New Year's Eve, and they started buying out our properties um, for, for these big events. And um, <clears throat> we got to talking and they wanted to do more stuff in Atlanta, but they wanted to, to do it with someone that they trusted and they didn't know anybody else in Atlanta. And so we started talking. And so in parallel, while I was doing stuff, you know, working at Gerber Group, um, doing all the marketing and events, we started buying out local venues to host these other events. So like we would book the Egyptian ballroom at the Fox Theater or the ballroom at the Westin Peachtree Plaza Hotel in downtown or Ventana's in downtown. Um, but this one day, walking into this brewery uh, called Red Brick, you know, I got the idea, well, what if we what if we did an event here at a brewery? That could be pretty cool. Um, and so I asked the staff, like, hey, who would I talk to about booking an event here? And then they pointed to this guy, Anthony. And so I pitched him on the idea of um, doing a New Year's event and calling it Brew Year's Eve, you know, super cheesy. But um, <laughs> eventually we, we came to an agreement and um, the first year, 1,800 people showed up. Wow. And so that was in like 2013, I think. Yeah. Um, and so after that, it was on. Like we started doing tons of events together at Red Brick, you know, Halloween and New Year's and it was a lot of fun. We were doing stuff in, in food food events and concerts and things like that in, in like Can Candler Park and other places in Atlanta. Um, <clears throat> and that went on for, for several years. How we got to LaGrange and how we got to, you know, starting this brewery was um, a mutual friend of, of Anthony's said that the folks in LaGrange are looking to bring a craft brewery to downtown LaGrange. It's part of their master development plan. And they have this idea that um, they want to host a beer festival to meet all of these breweries and convince one of them to move operations to LaGrange. And so, you know, Anthony brought me in and said, hey, you know, do you want to do this beer festival? And like I said, we were doing a lot of beer focus events in Atlanta. We said, you know, sure. And um, the difference immediately that struck us was that uh, in Atlanta, you can't sneeze and, you know, scratch your head without getting three permits from the city. Like it's, it's difficult. And I remember many times being in the mayor's office on a Friday afternoon, wondering if he was going to sign my permit for an event that we had 3000 tickets sold for the next day. Wow. And it was stressful. And it's like, there's gotta be a better way. So here we come to, to LaGrange and we start speaking with, you know, uh, Bobby Carmichael at the DLDA and, and Barbie Watts. And they're so nice and welcoming and like eager to, to help and it was really very easy to to, to work on this event with them and, and they were eager to to bring business to downtown and at some point we kind of looked at each other and said this is this is really nice like we you know let's see how this beer festival goes um so we threw the first lagrange craft beer festival in 2015 and um and it was great you know it was a it was a lot of fun and uh people were so nice and excited about the event and it was so easy to work with the city and all the various municipalities. And at that point, we just kind of both looked at each other and said, "No, we're not. We're not inviting another brewery down here. We're gonna. We're gonna start a brewery down here." Um, and that's really the genesis of how Wild Leap started. Which is kind of crazy for Lagrange to want a brewery in Lagrange because you know Nick and I were born and raised here in Lagrange, and you know this is essentially the old school Bible Belt. And just up until a few years ago, you couldn't buy beer on Sunday. Yeah, I remember it like it was 
we are not selling beer on Sunday here in LaGrange. I don't care what you say. And then they compromise. And then, you know, it's 12 o'clock, I think, now to this day that you, you have to wait till 12 noon on Sunday to, to buy a beer. Yeah, I think part of it was because they recognized that LaGrange is a great place to grow up, but they're losing people once they graduate high school. Yeah. They're not coming back. So true. So we need to bring more cool stuff to downtown and the surrounding areas so people want to come back and start a family here. And you have this downtown that the Cowley Foundation and, and, and others have done such a great job of building up. It's like, it, it's it's kind of this, un, was to us this unpolished gem of like, people are hungry for, for good programming and, and things to do. And, um, you know, we, we got to figure out a way to do it. Now, now, granted, every time we told somebody, whether it was friends or family, that we wanted to start a craft brewery in a place called La Grange, <laughs> that I think at the time was like 30,000 population, it was like, you're nuts. Um, so the whole uh, idea behind the name Wild Leap originally started with, you know, it two guys um, kind of leaving comfortable lives and jobs in Atlanta and taking a wild leap and, yeah. and starting a, a craft brewery in a, in a small town uh, of LaGrange. And, you know, granted, the story of Wild Leap has evolved so much more because it's certainly not about us. It's it's about you. It's about the community. It's, you know, who can't um, identify with taking chances, whether it be in your career path or, you know, your hobbies or your love life, you know, following your passions, doing what you love. We wanted to create a brand that that resonated with with everyone. And to top it off, it's like, as an outsider to the craft beer industry, Anthony had been in it for many years and Chris, our chief brewing officer had, had, had you know, been a home brewer and worked at the brewery with Anthony for many years. Like as an outsider, it was very off-putting in that you walk into a lot of breweries and, and they're not very welcoming. You know, they kind of like, you know, if you don't know this kind of IPA or this hops, it's like, they make you feel stupid. And it's like, mm -hmm. no, no, no. You want to shepherd people through the process of understanding what the offerings are and help them choose and, and be welcoming. It's not we're not in the business of making people feel like crap. It's the it's the opposite. And so, really, from day one, the word inclusive as opposed to exclusive really kind of set the tone for the company. And one of my proudest um, you know moments as a as a business owner is like when we when we'll like throw these big events and stuff. You've got you know, young parents with strollers in one hand and a beer in the other, and you got kids running around and you got grandparents. And this is a community meeting spot. And and we felt that Lagrange was a was a perfect place for that. And I think you know all the folks that we were working with at the time, um, you know, Spear Burdett and Bobby Carmichael and, and the DLDA, like they vetted us hard. They wanted to make sure that we weren't a bunch of knuckleheads coming in and wreck their town. Um, but on the flip side, it, it, it just reinforced that um, what we were trying to bring here was a good fit. Yeah. So you had, you had to start a brewery. You had to get a master brewer. Um, did, did, did Anthony have a relationship with the master? Yeah. So Anthony and Chris had, had been you know best friends, I think, since college. Okay. Um, and the funny thing about Chris is that he was a, a longtime home brewer. But he didn't actually brew it at Red Brick where Anthony and him worked. He worked like in the tap room, but he was the guy that everybody went to when they had a problem, like in terms of brewing 
or trying to figure out like he was a the guy they would go to. And so when we made this decision to start the company, like it was really Anthony. It was like, there's Chris is the guy. There's no way like he is, he is the one. And so, you know, it was, it was great to have that piece of the puzzle figured out immediately. Um, you know, because, and there's a lot of, um, sometimes in this industry, a lot of brewers and distillers and stuff, they kind of hop around, but, um, you know, we've been around open in LaGrange for over five years, but we've been a company for six plus years. So, uh, the consistency of, of having everybody in place from day one, um, I think has been extremely helpful. So you, you guys started in what, 16, 2016? Yeah. We like, we formed the LLC in, in 15, um, you know, as we're opening this new second location in Atlanta, I feel like it's it's bringing back a lot of memories because this is the hardest thing I think we've ever done. But then I go back to the days of like pitching our little PowerPoint to local <laughs> Atlanta invest uh, Lagrange investors and trying to convince them that like they should give us money to start this brewery. Yeah, I think that's the hardest thing because you know we got a lot of no's. And it took a long time. Now, granted, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Like we have people come up to and say, "I can't believe we didn't invest." Blah yeah. blah blah. Yeah, but, of course. You know, I'm I'm proud to say that ninety percent of our investors are based in Lagrange. The rest are friends and family. That's um, huge. Yeah. So, and that that hasn't changed. Yeah. So, and that was going to be my next question. You know, y'all don't have a pile of cash to, to get it rolling. You had to get investors. Um, pitching them on an idea, getting a lot of no's. You know, in our line of profession, you know, sometimes somebody brand new will get a no and they just fall apart. You know, you went through a lot of no's because you had a dream, because you, you saw the opportunity of what it could be. You know, you said the story has evolved. Um, your, your logo, you know, I didn't realize this, but the logo, um, the buffalo, there, there's, there's a, a big why behind the buffalo. Talk, tell everybody about the the why behind the, the logo of the Buffalo on the wild leap. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> sometimes I'll look back and look at all the, like the original files of like, what could have been the logo. And there was some like wild stuff. It was like a, you know, a bird inside an alligator's mouth or like, you know, deer. I, I think <laughs> the entire animal kingdom was covered at some point. Um, but you know, when we've solidified the name and kind of the concept behind that, we wanted to find a really uh, strong and powerful image that you see that and you don't even have to see our name. You know that that's Wild Leap. Yeah. You know, think about the best companies in the world, the Apples, the Nikes and stuff. Like, you see their logo, you don't really need anything else. You know, it, that's a bit, <laughs> it's a bit far-fetched to think that we could be that, but that was the attitude. It's like, we need to cement this thing into people's consciousness. And so um, when we saw the buffalo, we thought, well, this is an animal that normally like roams in packs and, you know, kind of a follower. But this particular buffalo on the logo, he's, he's by himself. He's forging his own path, taking his own wild leap. And, and you know, we thought that that was, that was really fitting. Um, and honestly, we had looked at many different logos and hired and fired many different designers but as soon as that one came in, we're like, yep, that's no. it. Yeah. yeah. I even read on here, it, it said, you know, you you must be all in. You know, mm -hmm. the Buffalo has, you got to be all in in, yeah. in what you're doing. Talk, talk to everybody today about your commitment level in, in owning a business <clears throat> and, and how you have to be all in. You know, you guys didn't have a plan B. 
It's like, hey, we got to make this work, right? Yeah, and again, you know, the timeliness of all of this is is interesting because, you know, as we've been working to open this Atlanta location for three years, you know, first going through the pandemic and then, you know, supply chain crunches and construction uh, challenges. Um, it goes back to this this one quote that that Anthony and I would would you know send to each other back and forth pretty often, especially in the early days when we were just wondering, are we ever going to get enough funds to, to, to get this thing off the ground? And it was like, I I guess the, um, the synopsis is if it was easy, then everybody would do it. And it's hard. And it's not like, you know, I, we don't say that as like a complaint. It's that if you really want something and you want to be great at it, you have to work really, really hard. And then once you get it, you have to work harder to protect it. Um, you know, I'll fight to the death for this for this brand, and, and this is our lives. There is no Plan B. You know, I, I don't want to not do this one day and like, you know, I don't know, go start a hedge fund or something like that. It's like this is it, and to have the ability to to grow this, and then also um, to kind of for the octopus to have so many legs in terms of like, you don't have to just be a craft brewery. Who says you have to do that? You can add other types of products and you can add other venues. There's, there's no roadmap. And if there is a roadmap, we're not paying attention to it because ultimately it's about um, what are the things that interest us and how, how can we, uh, you know, expand the business in, in, a, in an intelligent and meaningful way accordingly and bring something, bring something new. What was the first beer you guys made? Um, you know, I have some pictures of it, but I think the first two beers uh, was like, was a Rattler, which is like, you know, kind of half um, beer, half juice. And then I think it was local gold. It was a long time ago. I have like timestamp pictures of it, but it was like, it was Chris in his garage, hand filling beer bottles. And then like, with this contraption of like putting the cap on and stuff. And, um, you know, it, it's a funny thing because I look back on some of those original decks of what we were sending investors in terms of like what the beer trends were at the time, which was like low ABV IPAs, Rattlers, like things like that. And then by the time we got funded and were up and running, those were not beer trends at all. They, they crashed and burned. So it's kind of funny in that like, you say low ABV IPA, that was, you know, or um, I forgot the, the term behind it. Um, but yeah, that was a that was a bad word by then. So, you know, it's also just about being nimble and, and understanding what's happening in the market and, and, and adjusting accordingly. I saw where you, uh, the, the chance IPA, you know, it come behind taking chances. You know, you guys took a chance, you know, and it, and it worked out, you know, and there's so many times where, you know, we take chances and it don't work. But if you truly do have a dream, you keep taking chances, you know. I mean, you got to be smart, you know. You can't, you know, go broke. But it's like, you know, you talk about how much do you invest, how much do you put forth, you know, before it's over. I say you go, if you really believe in it, you just keep going. Eventually it's going to work out. If you truly have that dream in your heart, things will work out if you just don't quit. Yeah, you know, I, I feel like we're very lucky in a sense that um, all of us 
at the company bring different things to the table. There's not a huge a lot of there's not a huge amount of overlap. And what I mean by that is, you know, you have Anthony who's our CEO, um, and you know, very good with the numbers and and you know, really overall operations of the company. My passion is marketing and branding and sales. You have Chris that's like the mad genius that creates all of our recipes and and you know can and it's not even just beer anymore. It's it's you know, spirits and, and and RTDs and all that kind of stuff. And then you have Brittany, um, who's you know has run our uh, our tap room in Lagrange, running uh, Atlanta, and just bringing a very strict um, you know operations type of mentality to be able to to run these beasts of of, of venues. Um, and so, you know, if it was up to me solely kind of running the show, we, maybe we would have gone broke, but that's what Anthony's really good. The way I describe it is like, um, I'm like the wild bowler that's like, you know, trying to throw strikes and he's the guardrails that makes sure that we're not throwing yeah. gutter balls all yeah. the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny you say that we're in the financial service business. We deal with a lot of life insurance companies and there are no sales and marketing guys that are president or CEOs <laughs> of insurance companies. It's always finance or actuarial uh, folks, actuarial backgrounds. Yeah. Um, because, you know, it takes that levelness, you know, because we're like, hey, let's go, you know, let's go conquer the world. Um, but you got to have both, you know, you, you have to have it all. Um, I love I love the story. You know, every dream begins with an idea. Every journey begins with one wild leap. You know, so it's it's really it's really cool. I had no clue until you know preparing for this podcast about the, the symbols and and you guys' story, um, for for what you've been through and where and where you're going. So let's let's go back because I remember when COVID hit. Um, had y'all had planned to do the, the vodka and the slushies, you know, or did it? Because because it hit, you know, when COVID hit. I mean, I know talking with people, everybody was rushing, so you, so they y'all wouldn't run out, so they could, you know, it was curbside. Everybody was trying to get them before they ran out, and you know, y'all run out of different flavors. Talk about you know having vodka and, and having the slushies. Yeah, um, so you know, we opened our doors in Lagrange in 2017, and, and we started as a brewery, but we always knew we wanted to expand further we didn't know exactly how we just knew it was that was the beginning of the journey and not the end um so in 2019 we became a distillery and made the determination that we wanted to start with vodka um just in terms of you know level of difficulty and and accessibility and and also you know how do we offer this in the tap room in a meaningful way well you know when we started with vodka we knew that like just doing vodka cranberries and vodka sodas really wasn't going to cut it. So the bar in LaGrange was built as a beer bar. There was no like cocktail wells or anything like that. And, and um, that was a challenge at first, but um, we knew we had to be authentic in, in, in everything that we did. And, um, and that was a perfect example. So when we launched with vodka in 2019, we created an entire craft cocktail menu of like, hand-pressed juices and fresh ingredients and you know we're going to have amazing cocktails and we're going to change them often and keep people engaged because we knew that you know um not everybody likes beer and so that uh that was amazing and the response we had was was fantastic and eventually we took the plunge and bought this giant slushy machine for i mean those things are 
insanely expensive. Um, but it, I mean, I think it paid for itself in like six weeks. <laughs> and, and the team started creating amazing like homemade recipes of all these different slushies. Um, and that was going great. And then obviously, you know, March of 2020 hit and really changed everything. Um, we were we were riding a wave of popularity that was really exciting at the time. Um, you know, we had just been named best new brewery in America by USA Today in 2019. And like the second that happened, we were out of beer. It was like, you know, <laughs> DEFCON 3. There were sirens going off in the tap room in my head. of just like, we got to make more beer. We got to make more beer. And, um, and, and right then, now, everything's brewed out of LaGrange, Georgia right now, right? That's correct, okay. yeah. Um, and so then we added vodka and cocktails and slushies, and it was great. Um, so then in 2020, of course, COVID hit. And uh, it was a really weird time because, you know, when you buy more beer tanks, it's not like Amazon where, like, you buy them on a Thursday and, you know, Prime shows up at your door <laughs> on a Saturday. All of these things are custom built and take many, many months to get. And they're really expensive. So imagine, I think we spent, I don't even know, like a hundred grand or something like that, maybe more, on more beer tanks. It was like, we need more beer tanks, we need more beer tanks. Can't come fast enough. Um, the day the NBA season was canceled is when these tanks showed up. And so it went from, we need more beer tanks, we need more beer tanks to how the hell are we gonna fill these? Because the world just shut down and I don't know what's going on. Um, if you recall, all during that time, um, <clears throat> the Final Four was in Atlanta. Yep. And so we had truckfuls of beer literally going to Atlanta for like, there was a Taylor Swift concert. There was a Kings of Leon concert. They turned around and brought the beer back. It's like, wow. Final Four's canceled. We don't need this anymore. Um, and it was crazy. And, you know, so we had these new tanks. Nobody wants beer anymore. <laughs> and, uh, oh, yeah, by the way, we had to close the tap room because we don't really know what this COVID thing is. And, you know, so I think I'll never forget the day the NBA season was canceled. Anthony, Chris, Brittany, and I, we just, like, locked ourselves in the conference room. And we said, well, you know, how do we figure this out? And not only that, but, you know, we had – at the time, 40, 45 employees. We have more now. Um, how do we, how are we going to keep this place going, um, you know, and not go bankrupt, right? Um, and so the end result of that was, okay, well, we're going to spin up a curbside pickup website, like now. We're going to have a 10 by 10 out on, you know, near the street. Everybody can buy beer and crowlers and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, there's only one problem. How do you sell fresh cocktails to go? Okay, well, um, we figured out that we have these like uh, large 45 gallon drums. We can create like an assembly line of our people and, and start making massive batches of these fresh cocktails. And then um, we can hand pour them in cans and then seal them in our canning line. And so that's what happened. And it was like so incredible that like our entire tap room team went from operating as normal to like, we've got these tables set up and everyone's socially distanced and masks and we're all trying to make cocktails, hoping that, you know, people would enjoy this. And so thankfully 
um, we started offering these and it was like, boom. Yeah. <laughs> Lines around the block. It was nuts. And uh, yeah, I think that was the time we realized, all right, we're going to, we're probably going to get through this thing. Um, now, granted, our tap room was closed for 10 months. Um, so there was a lot of curbside pickup going on. Uh, but the irony, of course, is that there were days that we were making more money selling beer and cocktails to go in a tiny 10 by 10 tent than we were when we were hosting 1,500 people for a festival. Wow. Um, granted, it seems like, you know, everybody was an alcoholic at that time, but, you know, <laughs> it was an unprecedented time. What are you going to do? Um, so that was a really uh, pretty amazing thing to look back on. And it also helped shave, uh, shape uh, how, you know, how we started to, um, to innovate, right? We were doing these cocktails, and then all of a sudden retailers started reaching out. It's like, well, how do we get these? I don't know, because they only last seven or 10 days. Yeah. So we had to, you know, then look at like the sales and think, okay, well, these are the top five selling cocktails. Let's go find a beverage lab and figure out a way to reformulate these for shelf st stability so we can get them in the market. We always knew we wanted to get into the ready-to-drink cocktail market, but we were struggling for months. It's like, well, how do we do something different? Like Cutwater and all these guys, they can do vodka soda in a can with a, a touch of lime or a touch of this, and there's nothing wrong with that. But then who cares about us if we were doing the exact same thing? So by doing it this way, these things like strawberry mango and cream mojito that are like difficult to make at home, now you can get them in a can. And so there's our in. We can do something different from all the other folks. And, uh, and it went great. It worked. And um, we've been building ever since. Where all do you ship to? Well, how many states are you shipping to right now? Yeah, so um, we're distributed like in a traditional sense in Georgia, South Carolina, and Alabama. Um, we also have a partnership with, uh, with Tavor where they sell our beer in like 30 uh, different states in the United States. The, the thing about it there is if you're familiar with, with it, it's, a, it's an app for like beer lovers. And you can buy beer by the can from beer breweries that aren't in your area. And that's how you do it. And so we've got people in 30 different states like buying alpha by the can uh, and it sells out instantly. Wow. And it's just wild to think about that. And then, you know, at, at, at different points, it was really big pre-COVID and it's starting to come back. We've been shipping to about 12 different countries as well. We just keep quiet about that because, uh, frankly, you know, imagine the person that, like, walks into a, a package store in Atlanta and can't get the new Alpha, but they see some guy in, like, you know, South Korea <laughs> or, like, you know, London uh, <laughs> drinking Alpha. They're going to be upset. So we, don't, we do it, but we don't really talk about it. Yeah. It is kind of cool, though. Well, you guys do some great events, and, you know, I've always wondered – you know, why, and, and I learned, I want you to tell the audience, you know, why you don't have food served out of the, out of the brewery here. I know you have, you have vendors that come in, you know, the taco wars, the uh, wings, um, the wing contest. I mean, grilled cheese, yeah, grilled cheese, great events that you, you better get there early, you know, cause I, <laughs> I've come in on the tail end of it. And I'll see the crowd. I'm like, I'm out, uh, yeah. you know, but, uh, <laughs> but tell, tell the audience, you know, why, you know, cause I think there's a law behind it, why you can't serve food. I mean, there's not necessarily a, a law behind it. We can do it. Um, I think for a long time, we really just wanted to focus on what we were most passionate about, and that is making super high-quality craft beverages, providing 
an exceptional guest experience in terms of customer service and and, and also um, creating community events. You know, in the earlier years, a lot of these events were ticketed. And then at some point we realized we would rather not have that barrier of entry um, in LaGrange to where, you know, we're, we were always about being inclusive and not exclusive. And at some point we realized, you know what, if we build it, they will come. Yes, it costs a lot of money to do these events. And we are out of pocket regardless of one person or 2,000 people show up. But if we give people a great experience and we make it attractive and, you know, follow through on our commitments, then they'll come. And, and it's been crazy to, to think about um, the amount of large-scale festivals that we do in, in a given year. And actually, before coming here today, I was working with Whitney, who's our assistant GM in LaGrange, and looking at the, the 2023 event calendar, and it's significantly bigger than 2022. It, and it's going to be great. And so our goal is, you know, not only creating community-focused events where everybody is, is, is welcome, but also being able to elevate different food vendors that can come and make a bunch of money. Yeah. Uh, you know, we don't charge uh, our food vendors. We don't take any of uh, their, their revenue. We just ask that they actually show up if, if we booked them. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes that can be dicey. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's it. We It's all about just creating a fun experience. And, you know, we'll learn lessons from time to time. Like we did, uh, what was it? We did Taco Wars this past year. Yeah. And that was a big lesson in that everybody loves tacos. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't I don't remember seeing the plaza, you know, shoulder to shoulder ever. That was the one I showed up to. I'm like, uh-uh. It, yeah. I mean, it was crazy. So We did eventually make it back there towards yeah, the end. Yeah, we made it back, though. yeah. <laughs> I was like, so, you know, got to figure out maybe uh, just capping it off. And, it's a and good problem to have. One uh, in, one out type of deal <laughs> after a while. Yeah, that's definitely, that's definitely a good problem. And it sounds like you've been really good at solving problems, you know, being innovative and, you know, going back to where, you know, you in essential were hanging with rock stars to humbling yourself, you know, how I want to talk about, you, you mentioned earlier about when you made a comment about going to LaGrange, you had people tell it, trying to tell you that's a bad idea. You don't want to go to LaGrange. How did you guys insulate yourselves to not listening to the noise, not listening to people say, you shouldn't do this. I wouldn't do that. You know, do you have like mentors in your life? Like, what do you do to guard yourself as a professional, being an entrepreneur to drown out the noise and listen to the right people and not the wrong people? Well, I think it's a balance. I mean, if enough people are telling you it's not the right move, it's usually the the opposite. Um, a good example is, when we, we've been looking for an Atlanta tap room for a long time, um, since at least 2019. And we looked at the Beltline, we looked at Buckhead and Midtown, like all the spots that we knew, like right off the bat would be awesome. But, you know, if you know the history of our building in LaGrange, it's a historical building. You know, it was built in the early 40s, originally as, uh, I believe, a Chevy dealership, and then became the Westbrook yep. Tire Center for, you know, 40 years and then um, it was vacant from 2018, I'm sorry, 2008 until the time that we came about. And so it was on this piece of South downtown LaGrange in a beautiful historic building. And we thought 
we can renovate that thing and make it state of the art, like that would be amazing. And us being event guys, you know, we used to have to rent out Candler Park and all these, and to pay for all these other venues, um, you know, to throw, host these event, these events. And then this was like our playground, right? Like we can host these events, control all of the elements to make sure that they're fantastic, right? Fast forward several years, um, my wife sends me an article in uh, now it's a defunct website called Curbed, but um, it's kind of like the eater of real estate. And it was about the the Gulch area in downtown Atlanta and how it's really just been like a tailgate spot for years and years. But it's like in this amazing area nestled between Mercedes-Benz Stadium, State Farm Arena, Georgia World Congress Center, and it's just been parking lots, right? Well, the guy, Tony Ressler, the majority shareholder of the Hawks, yeah, he was getting into his car one day, right when he finished buying the team, and he's like, what's that? And so he's like, yeah, it's the Gulch. It's you know, uh, just a bunch of parking lots, people hang out. He's like, I'm going to buy that and turn that into LA Live. And I know what LA Live is. It, was, it's, it used to be a scary place in downtown Atlanta next to the Staples Center, and they turned it into this sprawling metropolis of hotels, restaurants, retail. It's amazing. And so, you know, when we found out that they were going to do this uh, property and then that the building that we were looking at was, you know, the former headquarters of Norfolk Southern Railways, um, also historical building, you know, it's a $5 billion renovation and we can be in another South downtown in Atlanta and, you know, have a massive property to do events and all that kind of stuff. It didn't matter that everybody, everybody told us, like, why would you go to downtown? It's dangerous. Or, you know, why don't you go to the Beltline or this? It's like, no, no, no. You just kind of have to trust that these things align for a reason. And, you know, if, if, you can, if you can create the type of experience that you're looking for, then, I mean, there's a huge opportunity. And, and as we're, like, days away from opening this place, I can tell you, this is going to be something unlike people have ever seen in Atlanta. And, uh, you know, I don't, I've never given birth or anything like that, but it feels like it was, you know, making triplets to get it, to get it out. Yeah. But it'll be worth it. Yeah. So you just try not to listen to folks and, 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 you know, trust that, um, if the numbers make sense, uh, and the opportunity is right, then it's going to work out. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's amazing what you guys have done from day one and you know with this new venue in atlanta i mean it's just going to take off from there do you guys have you know a vision to have more than lagrange in atlanta yes the answer is yes okay. <laughs> um so lagrange we have the way i look at it is like we planted the flag that is that is home base it's the mothership that's not changing you know Within our, uh, within our building, we have enough, you know, tanks and brewing equipment uh, to do something like 27,000 barrels a year. Um, right now, we're in the top 150 breweries in America in terms of production. Oh, wow. And if we max out that place, I think we'll be in the top 110 or 20. Anthony's better at that than, than I am in terms of knowing that, that stuff, but pretty damn close. Um, now, we have a second LaGrange facility that is not a customer-facing facility that's twice the size of that. We're going to be doing all of our uh, spirits and ready-to-drink cocktail production there. So 
I don't care if we do 20 more wild leaps. Um, the idea is that LaGrange is, is home base and it always will be. Um, but yes, we are very eager to, to add more tap rooms in strategic areas. And I think that um, as soon as we open our doors in Atlanta, uh, those opportunities will come to fruition pretty fast. Yeah. So yeah. based on the volume, are you guys still considered a craft beer? Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know what the numbers are, but there's something very obscene that we're not close to yet. Like I think I'm pretty sure Sweetwater is still a craft brewery. Gotcha. Um, and also there's like an ownership thing too. You know, if, uh, if Anheuser-Busch goes and buys a brewery, then you're no longer a craft brewery. Um, so that's why like Wicked Weeds no longer a craft, craft brewery, but like New Belgium I think still is. So will you guys brew out of uh, Atlanta as well? Yeah. So um, the way our licensing works is we can only sell what we make. Okay. Um, uh, some folks have asked like, you know, are you going to have other products? We're not legally allowed to. We're going to be, we are, we are a brewery, winery, and distillery. And we will have all three types of products in Atlanta that we make along with, of course, what LaGrange, the same thing with LaGrange. A certain percentage of uh, beer will be brewed on site in Atlanta. But I mean, we have a massive production facility in LaGrange. Atlanta is, you know, LaGrange 30 barrel brew house, Atlanta five barrel brew house. But the cool thing about Atlanta is that not only will we have these very exclusive breweries, brews that were, are only available there, but the way that Anthony and Chris kind of constructed this thing is that, you know, typically when you brew beer, you're either putting it in a can or a keg. In Atlanta, the beer we brew will go from the, the, the tank to these giant serving tanks up on the second floor that um, each one of them, I think, are uh, 4,000 pounds when there's a liquid and uh, between the liquid and steel. Um, and then when you pull the tap, it's coming straight from the tank. So it doesn't get any fresher than that. And it, I mean, the optics on this thing are so cool. The tanks are from the Netherlands. Like we wanted to create a lot of different, you know, fun show pieces as, as part of this uh, venue. Cause I mean, it's Atlanta. It's, yeah. it, we're surrounded by one of the biggest, most active stadiums in North America. One, the third most active arena in North America hundreds of thousands of hotel rooms like we got to pull out all the stops so all that and more is going to be as part a part of it so you guys are when, when when is atlanta opening up what day uh december 26 december 26 <laughs> wow opening up we got uh you, you told me you got a big group uh, we, we got some friends we're big georgia fans yeah we got some really close friends that are ohio state fans so you got a big group uh of ohio state fans coming down? I mean, we've got tons of groups of folks. We, we've been very fortunate in that um, we've been actively marketing the venue now for a long time. And, um, you know, the groups start arriving, I think, December 29. Okay. So we anticipate 29, 30, 31. It's going to be madness. And then we have a ticketed New Year's Eve event from 9 p.m. to 1 a.m. Are you sold out yet? Close. Okay. How do they buy tickets? Uh, just go to uh, wildleap.com and you'll see the uh, the links uh, if you scroll down on where the events are. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's going to be a, a, a great event, a great time. And we continue to have uh, New Year's Eve events in LaGrange. This year we're doing a masquerade ball. That's going to be a lot of fun. 
So we try to continue to, you know, create different different looks for different events and and you know, there's something for everyone. You guys have done just a phenomenal job. It is it is inclusive. It's very family oriented. I mean, you know, we take our kids, you see families taking their kids to the outdoor events. Um Rob, this has been fun. This has been fun. Uh thank you. You know, just hearing your story and um, you know, I look forward to you know, seeing Wild Leap just continue to grow um, across the country. JB? No, I'm, you know, I got to do the, one of the final walkthroughs with you when I first met you, when y'all were getting ready to open up the location here. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was like, man, you know, now seeing what it's doing now, you guys saw that a long time before anybody started, you know, any construction. You know, the, the investors, they saw that vision that you guys see now. So, and it's paying dividends because you guys have went full steam all in, right? There's you're not 80% in. You guys are all <laughs> you guys going to Definitely. Atlanta, that is a wild leap, right? Yeah. Could go from LaGrange saying, "Hey, how can we duplicate and, you know, do even bigger things in Atlanta?" So, it's a great great story. I look forward to seeing the rest of it written with you guys. Well, thank you. We um you know, we're very cognizant of uh, what we've been fortunate enough to build in LaGrange. And we're not trying to duplicate that in Atlanta. We want to do something completely different. So a perfect example of kind of what's happening in LaGrange is, you know, there's Taco Wars and Burger Bash and all these different events that people grow to love. Um, we're not just doing those in Atlanta as well. We're going to be doing something completely different. And we're already working on a huge calendar full of events, everything from food, music, and, and kind of other type of events to we plan to be the place that you want to be before, during, and after Atlanta United, Falcons, Hawks, bowl games, all of these things. So to be able to to even think about like doing that, it's, it's pretty mind-blowing. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun with you guys. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I appreciate uh, being a part of this. And, yeah. And uh, we'd love to invite you guys to, to Atlanta to see it in person. We'll be there for awesome. sure. All right. Thanks, guys.